0: In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Good morning. We are in week two of a three-week sermon series, uh, which is just focusing on the lectionary passages that have been assigned in the Epistle of James and we are asking what does it look like to take our faith with us into every corner of our lives not just our sunday lives but our monday through saturday lives not just with our christian friends but with all our friends and not just uh, externally but internally but what does it look what does it look like to take our faith with us when we walk through those doors and head into the rest of our week So we are asking that question really as a means of uh, looking at our vision statement, which is on the back of your bulletin. You can take a look at that and let's read it together. Church of our Savior exists to help people wherever they are on their spiritual journey to live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We said last week, Uh, that our lives and the way that we live our lives not only evidence our own relationship with Jesus, but also our lives are a major way where we help other people see the light of Christ. The Gospel will never make a difference to a watching world if it does not appear to that watching world that the Gospel makes a difference to us. And so we want to make sure that the way we live our lives are glorifying to Him, and yet we also want to make sure that we remember that whenever we're talking about how we live our lives, that grace is always the context. Grace is always the context. How we live our lives is a fruit of the unearned, undeserved, totally full love of God given to you and to me in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, Grace is always the context. And so last week we talked about uh, taking your faith with you into your relationships. And this week we're going to talk about taking your faith with you into your speech and how we speak to others. And next week we're going to talk about taking your faith with you in your work and your family. So how do we take our faith in Christ with us? Does the grace that we have received shape the way that we speak? And man, there are just so many directions that we could go in this one. The way we speak to others, the way we speak around others, the way we speak about others, to say nothing of the way we speak to ourselves under our breath. And let me just say that, be the first to say that this is hard. I mean, this has kind of been a long week uh, as I worked in this passage. Because I'm not here to uh, advocate any sort of hollow Pollyanna commitment, not to say bad things, whatever that is. Because this is not a vocabulary issue, this is a heart issue. James begins by saying, uh, he's addressing a squabble in the local church there. And he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. And many of you would just say, hallelujah, I do not want to be a teacher anyway. And wish he had just left it right there. Because we think and we expect that if he is going to explain why not many of us should be teachers, then we expect him to say, because that's just not many of us are very good at it. Right? It's just not our gift. But that's not what he says. He makes the qualification... Not one of giftedness, but one of moral integrity centered around the tongue, how we speak. And he moves the focus away from little local disputes over who gets to teach in that church. And he just lasers all of us, whether we want to teach or not. He says the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a deadly poison. And he muses that we can tame every kind of animal, every kind of wild animal, but we cannot tame the tongue. And you know he's right. Or at least your friends know he's right. Or your spouse. I heard a story from a friend who grew up in Orangeburg, South Carolina. And the story was about a Mrs. Jones And everybody called her Manda. And for the longest time, my friend just assumed that Manda was short for Amanda. But he came to find out that Manda was actually a nickname that Mr. Jones had given her, which was actually short for Salamander. (laughs) Or as he would have said in Orangeburg, Salamanda. So she was Manda. And... uh, She got this nickname because apparently a salamander can shoot their tongue out (laughs) almost the full length of their body with lightning quickness and deadly accuracy to catch its prey. And old Ms. Jones apparently had a tongue that was also lightning quick and deadly uh, in her accuracy. And so she was called Manda. (laughs) And apparently my friend... Wondered if Ms. Mr. Jones didn't also have a tongue that was pretty quick uh, himself. But it's just so easy to be that way, isn't it? In just so many different ways. I mean, it feels good to choose someone out, doesn't it? Just to give them a piece of our mind. We feel justified when we cut them down to size. When we win the argument by the sheer force of our will. And it feels good until it doesn't. And we got to put the pieces back together again and kiss them goodnight (laughs) or see them at work the next day. Or, you know, doesn't it just feel so natural to bend a truth in our favor every now and then? Maybe just to get out of a jam or to up our status in the eyes of our audience. Just bend the truth a little. But then, you know, I mean, to say nothing of the ninth commandment, uh, we have to remember our lies and uh, remember who we told what to and so that we can keep that up and, uh, with consistency in order to avoid embarrassment. Mark Twain said that one of the striking differences between a cat and a lie is that a cat only has nine lives. I thought that would be funny. Maybe it hits close to home. <laughs> Then again, doesn't it just kind of feel exhilarating to gossip? You know, to to tell one person the juicy details about another person, kind of build a coalition that way. Uh, In fact, there was a a Lent when I was in college that gave up gossip. Now, I probably gave it up because I thought that that'd be easy for me. And I was just very surprised at... How often, I mean multiple times a day, I I found myself wanting to jump into a conversation about someone else. Or to try to make myself look good uh, in someone's eyes at another person's expense. It's just so easy to do without even thinking about it or not thinking about the consequences of it. And i got to tell you, when someone comes to me and tells me bad things about someone else, not not in a priestly way, that's that's different, but in a gossipy sort of way, I, I always wonder, what are they saying about me when they're not talking to me? So it doesn't always build that coalition. Sometimes it even creates division in that way as well. Gossip is destructive and inevitably divisive in any context, but I think it's especially dangerous in the church. I mean, our eyes cannot be on Jesus Christ and slanted at someone else at the same time. Gossip forfeits our unity to which Christ calls us. I mean, we're talking about a brother or a sister in Christ with whom we are going to spend eternity. Now, that Lent was one of the most powerful and impactful of my life. And I would encourage you to keep prayerfully consider if maybe you need to have a self-imposed Lent. Maybe from now until Halloween. Just watch yourself. Now, I've also had Lents where I tried to give up cursing. i got to tell you, those were not as impactful. I can remember a time where I was driving down the road. I was just confessing to God, just how I lament. I mean, I, you might say how I hate how easily expletives roll off my tongue, usually under my breath, not, not usually to other people. And I was saying, I'm sorry, Lord. I, I just, I don't want to talk that way. It's just in me. I don't want it to be in me. I confess it. I want you to change me, Lord. And right then, I missed an exit because somebody wouldn't let me over Jerk. <laughs> Expletive. I'm not going to tell you which one, but you probably already know. So, you know, when we, when we look closely at the words that we speak, whether it's at the cleanliness of our words or at the truthfulness of our words or whether our words tear down others behind their back or whether our words are meant to hurt or to dominate. When we look closely at the words that we speak, we begin to understand with uncomfortable clarity why James would say things like, the tongue is a restless evil, a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body and is itself set on fire by hell. And we can see why he compares our speech to how a giant ship goes one way or the other uh, based on a relatively tiny rudder. So for us, as children of the living God, saved by the grace of God, the question is, are our words being shaped by the grace that we have received through Jesus Christ? The question is, are we glorifying God with our speech? The question is, are we helping others wherever they are in their spiritual journey to live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ through our speech? That's hard. And it's hard because words are powerful. Powerful. I mean, God is a God who speaks, and we were created in His image. Words can be used to build up, to encourage, but they can also be used to tear down and destroy. And that's really, I think, James's burden as he's writing to these Christians. He says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the image of God. That's really the very definition of hypocrisy. And you know that hypocrisy is one of the principal indictments that a watching world has against the church. How can we help others live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus when what they see in us is backbiting and mudslinging? They don't need the church for that. They can get that anywhere. There is a reason that the psalmist cries out, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. Because you know, this is not a vocabulary issue. This is a heart issue for all of us, including, especially, me. And so, what are we to do? Well, I want to offer three suggestions, none of which is watch your mouth. I mean, watching your mouth is a good thing to do. Uh, But at least in my experience, just watching your mouth did not affect much long-term change. So three suggestions. Number one, magnify God's grace. Magnify God's grace. When we feel convicted or guilty about our words or any sin for that matter, uh, it's important to remember that that is part of the reason why we need a Savior. And we have a Savior. You have a Savior who has already paid the penalty for your sin in full with His own death. And when I feel convicted about my sin, it makes Jesus' self-sacrifice seem to me all that much more amazing. That He would love one such as me. So magnify God's grace. Number two, confess your sins. Now I know that I just said that, that Jesus paid the price for your sin, and He did. But that doesn't mean that you don't need to name your sin specifically. Name it to God each time you catch yourself. Don't just wait for Sunday, although that's why we have a long pause right before the confession. Name your sin. And it may also, you might need to name your sin. It takes some maturity, but you might need to name it to someone you've hurt. Go to them and apologize. Ask their forgiveness. That's why we have the peace, actually, right before we take communion. That may be painful. But that pain actually will help deter you from repeating the offense. So magnify God's grace and confess your sins. Number three is the most important. Focus on Jesus. When we focus, we're watching our mouth or we're focusing on ourselves and whether or not we mess up and how bad we feel and what we might have meant or not meant, we're just focusing on ourselves. Just take the focus all the way off and focus on Christ and read about Him in the Gospels. See how He interacted with all sorts of people. Find yourself in the people that He interacts with, the ones He heals and The ones He forgives and the ones He teaches and maybe even the one He rebukes. Find yourself there. Think about the cross and His love for you. Think about the empty tomb and His life for you. Pray to Jesus. Imagine His face as you confess. Focus on Jesus rather than on yourself. And you will be amazed really at how over time things kind of begin to clean up. But don't expect that they will clean up so much that you won't have to be reminded from time to time that you need a Savior. So is your tongue lightning quick and deadly accurate? Or is your tongue an instrument of blessing and peace? Is your tongue full of deadly poison? Or full of grace and praise? It is important both for you and your relationship with Christ and for others and how they see Christ in you. Because we exist to help people wherever they are in their spiritual journey to live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen.